Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. And now, the list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasaba, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news paper since 1971. Over time to Ben Drowski show as I speak it's Thursday April 20th 2023 uh, before I bring on my distinguished guest here's a headline that's in the news after actually yesterday's uh, story from uh, the New York Times I found this the most fascinating read uh, in any newspaper yesterday it was an obituary and I, I've always said this uh, obituaries, like what an art, the art of writing an obituary. Maureen O'Donnell for years was an outstanding obituary before she retired for the bright one. Uh, New York times has some great obituaries too. And this had a, this is an obituary on a character I never heard of before. And it's truly in my humble opinion, uh, one of the most cynical, uh, stories that I've ever, uh, encountered. Here's the headline, Freddie Escapatici who may have been British spy, steak knife, is dead. And the subhead is, he denied that he was steak knife, the code name of a high-ranking British mole in the Irish Republican Army during the Northern Ireland conflict. Great story by Alan Cole out of London. And I'll just boil it down, ladies and gentlemen. I urge everybody to go check this out because really fascinating insight uh, on the nature of government and law enforcement. Uh, so as you know, there were troubles in Ireland. Uh, the Irish it was a rebellion against the Brits, uh, and in the early 70s, the Irish Republican Army uh, was the underground uh, champions uh, leading for, uh, some would call them a terrorist organization, uh, some would call, would, would call them heroes, revolutionaries, depending on your point of view, uh, but they were using uh, milit- they were using terroristic tactics to try to uh, force uh, England to give Irish its independence. Anyway, um, so the British government uh, went in and they infiltrated and they got somebody, uh, it's not clear if it was Freddy Scapatici, uh, to be a mole. Uh, most people think that this, it was a very high-ranking mole uh, uh, in, in the IRA that was feeding information to the Brits. And most people think it was this Freddy Scapatici who just died the other day at age 74 or whatever it was. The point is, he was an enforcer for the IRA. 
So follow me in this, ladies and gentlemen. He was the person responsible for, like, if necessary, killing people that they thought uh, were turncoats or uh, shooting them in the kneecaps, enforcing their code of justice, if you will, or enforcing their code uh, of compliance, if you will. At the same time he was doing that, he himself was a mole. And the Brits knew that. And the concept of having a mole who is completing acts of violence is that the act of acts of violence sort of give that mole cover. Well, that guy can't be the turncoat because he just shot someone for allegedly being a turncoat. And so then you use the shooting of somebody like it's a terror, an act of terror to justify the crackdown on the Irish people. Look at this. These acts of terror that are being committed uh, by these terrorists. You need law and order. We're going to come in and give you law and order. And the whole time that this was going on, the guy who was committing the acts of terror was, in fact, a spy for the British government. And the full story has not been told. So this article by Alan Cole, like some of it is, uns- they don't know. He openly says so much is still hidden. I read that, and I know I'm. I could easily get jaded here in Chicago. <laughs> you know, people in Chicago could be so two faced. Like that parade on Thursday or Wednesday when the city council members bid farewell to Lori Lightfoot was one of the most embarrassing spectacles I've witnessed of two facism, if there's such a word. But this takes it to a whole other extreme. Good God! I urge everybody to read this article by Alan Cole. Uh, in the New York. Yeah, I know you guys may not be up in the Irish politics. We don't talk about them that much on the Ben Jarofsky show, but it's a, a fascinating insight into the games that government plays uh, and the consequences on the ground. All right, without further ado, I'm going to ask my distinguished guest to introduce yourself, and then we're going to take it away. Distinguished guest, introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Ramana Hussein. I'm a columnist and editorial board member at the Chicago Sun-Times. Yes, and a regular on the Ben Jarofsky show. We're happy for that. Um, uh, oh, Ramana, so many things that I want to talk to you about. Uh, I have them all listed here right in front of me. Uh, and, uh, but I guess I'm going to ask you, we'll start off with Weekend in the Loop. Everybody who's come on the show this week uh, has been asked to address this one way or another. Michael Girardi, uh, Monroe Anderson, Tanya Hill, Mark Sims. I love each and every one of you. You spoke openly and honestly about what went down, not only what went down in the loop, the mayhem in the loop, but also the political fallout, which is still ongoing uh, regarding uh, Brandon uh, Johnson. So I'm very proud of the guests that I have on the show. They speak their mind, very diverse opinions. I'd love to get your thoughts on not only, again, not just what happened, but the political fallout. So take it away, Ramon. Yeah. Um, so I have to tell you, um, it's interesting because I found out about what happened um, unfolded Saturday night because I saw Brandon Johnson's tweet. He was on Saturday. He was at, actually at my mosque in Old Irving Park that day. Um, he was there for to um, for an iftar gathering. Iftar is the meal that uh, Muslims eat when they break their fast at sundown. So um, he was actually at our mosque. So my brother t- sent us the tweet that Brandon Johnson sent 
because, um, you know, the people and the pictures in his tweets, we knew all the people in the pictures. So we just kind of, I kind of looked at it and then I started just reading the comments because I was curious to see what people had to say. But then I saw people saying, why aren't you downtown? You know, you're a disgrace. Um, you're so out of touch. And uh, my first thought was, oh, what's happening? And then, you know, I, I looked at, um, you know, some of the footage and I, I saw some of the tweets about what was happening downtown. And, you know, it's obviously of concern. But to me, the first the first thought I had in my head was that Brandon Johnson is not mayor yet. He has yet to be sworn in. So why are putting everybody putting him on the spot? And, you know, as as the days went by, um, you know, we heard about uh, the top police leaders, including the interim police chief, um, getting into a shouting match with another um, member of the top brass about, um, you know, what what's being involved and how they should go about handling the situation on Saturday. And then, you know, you heard about this one couple who were being attacked, was being attacked um, on Saturday. And the you know, the, this woman that ended up helping them, she said that um, at least four patrol cars drove by without um, stopping. And this woman said when she went to the central district um, police station, uh, the desk sergeant basically said, you know, when they explained what happened, they wanted to file a police report. The couple was with her. He basically said, well, Brandon Johnson was elected mayor. That's why this was happening. So, I think Brandon Johnson, like I know, and then, you know, he, Brandon Johnson himself put out a statement um, and he basically pointed out that it's not right to demonize the youth. Um, and then he angered a couple people too. And I, I think it's, I think it's okay to criticize him about the particular statement because he didn't mention the shootings. There's, so there's two shootings that day, a 16 and 17 year old boy that, you know, thank God they're going to survive. Then there was uh, the day before at 31st Street Beach, there was also a shooting where a 14 year old was shot. He also was wounded and thankfully he's also going to survive. So I think Brandon Johnson brought up a good point, but then people probably felt like, well, why aren't you mentioning or just, you know, he said that this was not acceptable. He was condoning what was happening, but he didn't really blatantly say it. So. You know, I think it's okay to criticize his state. He was not condoning. No, he was. He was. Con he, he was not. Condoning. Well, he was. He was condoning the activity that happened. He was. He was condoning it. Yeah. He was condoning it. He just didn't specify what he was condoning. Right? Like he just said the activity. The he he called it the activity. He was basically pointing out, rightfully so, that you know, in a lot of these um, communities, especially black and brown communities, he didn't mention what specific communities, but historically there have been um, teenagers and youth you know, older, um, younger adults don't have the same um, privileges or activities or outlets that their peers do on the north side or in the nearby suburbs. That is definitely, I think, a fact. And so I think he brought up a good point, but I think people, a lot of people felt like he needed to say a little more and be a little forceful. I thought it was unfair to like sit there and expect him to run downtown when he's not even mayor, Mary, you know, Lori Lightfoot is still mayor. I think Brandon Johnson's not going to be sworn in until May 15th. Does this mean that he shouldn't be thinking about what needs to be done and how crime needs to be solved and who he needs to put in as police chief? Of course, I'm sure he's thinking about that. I'm sure his transition team and the people that, you know, he's going to be relying on. I'm sure they're all thinking about this, but it's not his the city isn't not his responsibility yet. And so I thought, I thought that was a little unfair for people, the expectations to, for people to expect him to do that. And the commentary, when the police are making comments, 
a desk sergeant is commenting like, well, this is because Brandon Johnson got elected mayor. He's not even mayor right now. You know what I mean? And it's like, do you really think if Paul Ballas was elected mayor and he was the mayor elect that this would never have happened? You know, that the possibility of this would totally be gone. Um, you know, I think there's no question that Brandon Johnson is going to have to come together with the police department and with um, anti-violence um, organizations or violence prevention, I should say, organizations. And I think he needs to come together with the youth to hear from them. I think we don't hear from them um, often, often enough. And I'm actually writing an editorial about this um, for Sunday. So this is the topic. I'm, I'm going to talk to someone who um, works with the issue of violence among youth and what needs to be done. I think, I think that's one thing that's missing. You know, we put curfew, curfews are put in place last year. I think it was last year. Mary, Mayor Lori Lightfoot um, made the curfews more restrictive last year for teenagers and young, I think it was teenagers or minors. And uh, they're restricted when they can go to Millennial Park without an adult. Now, I did an editorial last year on curfews, and I looked at some studies, and um, a lot of studies say that curfews don't work in terms of curbing violence among youth. And what ends up happening is that black and brown teenagers are the ones who bear the brunt when it comes to being targeted with these, you know, stricter curfews. It's not the white kid from Wilmette who's hanging out downtown that gets targeted. It can be the black and brown kid who's following the rules that gets targeted because of the way they look. So they were saying that these um, these curfews don't get enforced equally and that they don't necessarily help stop crime. So I think there's a lot of things at play. I think, you know, Alden Lowry um, from WBZ did a column a couple of days ago about crime and and he made a good point. No one has the answers. That's the thing. It's something that we need to do collectively. And it is something that we have not solved. This isn't something that was going to be solved. And for anybody who thinks that Paul Ballas was going to come in and all crime would be solved altogether, that's not true. And, you know, he might have a different approach than Brandon Johnson. That That's for sure. But to act like if Paul Ballas came in, they're like, crime would be over. And, and, and I rightfully think people have a, you know, have a right to be concerned about crime. Nobody wants, nobody sit there, nobody's sitting there thinking like they want more crime. And it's, it's right for people to be concerned. But I don't get this naive thinking that, oh, because Brandon Johnson got elected. This is why all this crime is happening. And if Paul Vallis was there, like, you know, Everybody would be nobody would be packing heat anymore. And, you know, everybody would be like walking safely and feel better about, the, you know, better about the city. It's, it's a lot more complicated than that. And I think people need to realize that, that, you know, whether it's Brandon Johnson, whether it's the police department, we need to all come together and talk about this because it is a serious problem and, and, and it needs to be addressed. And, you know, and the inequities in these communities and, you know, the inequities that these children, you know, are are seeing and, um, you know, are, you know, deprived of, I think that needs to be addressed too. So it's like, oh, it's, it's just a bigger problem. And it's, I don't think it's easily fixed with uh, a curfew or more restricted access to places downtown. Because for a lot of these kids, you know, the, these kids who are following the rules, downtown is the only, you know, luxury they have to go downtown and, you know, go to places, go to museums, go to, you know, the Art Institute, 
um, you know, hang out at Millennium Park because they don't have the same resources in their own backyard. So I, I think it's it, it's just a more complex problem. And I, I just think the political fallout has just been insane. And it's only been a week, right? Less than a week since this happened. Yeah, uh, that's a great riff uh, that you went on. And uh, I took note of what you said because you're absolutely correct. The, <laughs> I hadn't thought of that, but that you're 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 so on target. The notion that the teenagers who uh, got gathered at the 31st Street ba- Beach or raced downtown did that because Brandon Johnson was the mayor elect as opposed to Paul Vallis is so freaking absurd. Uh, it's like every other thing MAGA says. It just is absolutely absurd. We all know what happens with Chicagoans that first night, nice day of, of summer. I've been saying that all week. We all know how insane everybody gets, not just teenagers, drivers. I stay away from the roads that first nice day. You don't want to go on Lakeshore Drive on the first nice day because uh, somehow they think they're Mario Andretti. And uh, so your point is really well taken. When you were tell- talking about um, the reaction, the response uh, that uh, the woman reported that she received uh, at, from a desk sergeant at a police station, I thought back to something Arnie Duncan said during the campaign. And Arnie Duncan wrote an essay, or an essay was written under his name for the Chicago Tribune. I still think Peter Cunningham wrote the essay, but neither here nor there. Um, uh, Arnie Duncan wrote an essay saying he was endorsing uh, a, a Paul Vallis on the grounds that Paul Vallis because he comes from the police department, if you will, he is uh, supported by the Fraternal Order Police. He was uh, helped them in their contract. He was a consultant to the contract when they were negotiating their contract. He would be able to be a bridge to the police department to get it to join the larger conversation about what needs to be done in the city of Chicago. It was sort of like a Nixon go, only Nixon can go to China uh, justification for uh, voting for uh, Paul Vallis, don't blame me, uh, lefties. I'm just reporting what Arnie Duncan said. And I was thinking about that in the aftermath because part of me, um, when you went on that riff, was thinking maybe that desk sergeant was saying, oh, yeah, this is what's going to happen with Brandon Johnson because you want to defund the police? We're going to give you defund the police. We're You want to get beat up by hoodlums? We're going to let you get beat up by hoodlums. Then see how your little liberal uh, lefty uh, do-gooder booty <laughs> response to that. Do you think there's any possibility, Ramada, that that's what's going on? Yeah, for sure. I mean, th- I'm not saying all police officers because I'm also not one of those people that think all police officers are bad. Are there a lot of bad police officers? Um, that can be debatable and there are enough to be a problem. Um, the thing that I find interesting is, um, so we had Charlie Beck come to talk. He was the interim um, police chief, uh, police superintendent, I should say, um, at, for the Chicago Police Department. And he was part of the reform movement in Los Angeles. And uh, he came to talk to the editorial board. It was in in a relation to a study that came out about what police departments across the country need to do. And he was very for reform. And so the interesting thing is, I don't know, would Paul Vallis come in and be serious about police reform? Because if he wasn't, then nothing would change. Um, I think, um, you know, from what we heard about David Brown, um, Charlie Beck said that, you know, he had put certain things in place. And I think the um, person who was in charge of, you know, 
overlooking the reforms, he got fired once David Brown came in. So I think it can be argued that Lori Lightfoot wasn't interested in police reform either or the top brass in the police department. So the question, and this is Charlie Beck talking because he said he started off as a very old school police officer. You know, he was all about, you know, getting the arrests. And he said that he had to learn to change. So he says the culture has to change. Now, if this is the culture that we have, would they have changed under Paul Vallis? Would Paul Vallis implement a change? I don't know. That's the bigger question. I mean, maybe he would have been able to talk to police officers easier because that's what the who the union um, endorsed. And they thought he was going to be someone that was going to really lay down the law. But what if he introduced reforms? Would would they be, I don't know, would they be taking um, orders from Ballas? Or what if Ballas got a police chief that they didn't, a lot of rank and file officers didn't agree with? And Charlie Beck did say, you know, I think Brendan Johnson is going to have an uphill battle in terms of gaining the trust from the police leadership. Charlie Beck said, if you don't have that support, um, from the top brass, like you don't have the top brass interested in reform and there's no communication with the mayor and the union, he said that reform won't work either. So he's saying that he was telling us that there needs to be a relationship between Brandon Johnson, a strong relationship between Brandon Johnson and the FOP. And we asked Charlie back, like, how could that happen? You know, when you have someone like John Cataranza, like, would that be a possibility? And he said it, it it sounds like it's impossible, but he said it is possible. You have to find common ground. And you just have to have people interested, the top brass interested in reform. So I think everybody's going to be paying attention to who Brandon Johnson selects as the nef- next police chief, if it's going to be someone that's interested in reform. Because as Beck told us, and I'm, I, you know, Beck is more of an expert than I am. So I'm going off on what he told me. And I used a lot of this, uh, the material he told me, us, uh, the editorial board for uh, editorial did about police reform. So it's, it's a very long, long, like long process. And the thing is, if you don't have police reform, you're not going to get trust from the community. And we know that the trust between the police uh, police department and the community is very threadbare right now. And without that trust, things are only going to get worse. So if there's officers or people who believe that, you know, oh, law and order, we need more law and order. We need to lock more people up. And, you know, it doesn't matter what the community thinks. It's not going to solve the problem. And what's interesting to me is like, you know, a lot of these people, the same kinds of people who are criticizing Brandon Johnson when he wasn't isn't even the mayor is like they stay mum when there's a mass shooting. They do not say anything about what needs to be done when there's a mass shooting. So I don't know. I, I think these conversations need to be had because there's a lot of reasonable people who are worried about the crime. But there's also another contingent that um, there's definitely dog whistles in in the way that they're, they're speaking and, and, and it's just interesting that it's like Brandon Johnson's not even the mayor and you're already going after Brandon Johnson. Like I saw one tweet um, in response to Brandon Johnson's um, Ramadan tweet. Like this guy's like, God, at least Lori Lightfoot, when she was mayor, she did this. And I was thinking to myself, she still is mayor, you know? And it's just, it's just yeah. ridiculous. Like he's going to be the next mayor and he hasn't even implemented any policies yet. So you're free to criticize him. 
and you can criticize a statement, but he's hasn't he's not even in power right now. He's been on the fifth floor at City Hall, but only to say, you know, to talk to Lori Lightfoot. He hasn't he hasn't sat in the office as mayor yet. So, you know, once he implements some, you know, once he has some like rules in place or some, you know, you know, decrees in place, like, you know, with the police department or implements different programs, then you could, you know, give it a year or like even three months if you want to. But just to to like criticize him even before he's mayor, it, I, I just found that ridiculous personally. Well, I, uh, I what we're seeing and what you're describing is the demonization of Chicago. So in the second part of his uh, his quote or his statement that was issued uh, in the aftermath of uh, the violence in the loop, he said, uh, I, I don't want to demonize uh, all teenagers in Chicago or all our children in Chicago. Uh, and then, of course, the air, the, I mean, he got jumped on for that. Uh, but this the act of jumping on him for saying we shouldn't demonize all children, which is really heading in a direction, Ramon, of saying we shouldn't go back to mass arrests. Yeah. We shouldn't you know, I, just I actually, view this I as actually, a, an excuse to mass arrest people. Yeah, I actually am okay with that part. I mean, like personally, like I think that's fine. Um, I think he I, I think I think what some reasonable people were upset with was just saying like he wasn't you know, there's kids that were injured and like, you know, he should have said that. And we can't ignore that that is happening. I, I, I think that's fine. But I think that his, the demonization thing is a legit point. We can't demonize, you know, all youth because some youth are doing, you know, criminal activities. That's like that's like you're profiling these kids. Absolutely. And they're profiling Brandon Johnson. And that's what's going on. Chicago was demonized under Lori Lightfoot, which is so bizarre, Romana. And we, we we joke so much. We'll get into this a little further uh, on this uh, when we do our segments. I'm always pointing out the difference between lefties and liberals. And Lori Lightfoot, at best, was a liberal. She was nowhere near the left, and yet she was demonized by Fox. She fit. She just fit their characteristics. They needed to scare their audience and manipulate their audience, and so they turned her into the second coming of Karl Marx, which is so ludicrous. And now they're just moving on to to Brandon Johnson. Okay, we got her out of the way. Now another black person that we could scare white people with. Let's go to work. And I'm watching it happen before the man has even been sworn in. Ramon. Yeah. Oh, I think it's ridiculous because I've seen the national discourse on it, too. Um, and yeah. And, and it, with Lori Lightfoot, it's like, OK, she's this um, black woman who's a member of the LGBTQ community. She must be like so left. And that doesn't necessarily translate to like someone being super left. I mean, you have Tom Tunney, you know, he's a member of the LGBT community and he's far from, you know, a lefty, you know? So yeah, it's, it's, it's just ridiculous. It's, I mean, like I, I am some, I'm a journalist, so I, I'm not someone that's going to be like, okay, Brandon Johnson just gets a pass when he's mayor. He doesn't, he, he gets to be criticized like everyone else, but to criticize him before he becomes, becomes mayor, it's just so crazy. It's kind of like, what if like Donald, you know, before Donald Trump was like sworn in and something happens and I'm like, that's because Donald Trump got elected president. You know what I mean? It's just like, it's just <laughs> crazy. But it, it is funny. It kind of remi it reminds me of um, when Obama was um, elected president, even before he was um, even before he was sworn in. There was a it, 
I covered this one, like it was a, it was kind of like, a, I should say funny story, but this black woman punched a white police officer and said something like, something like there's a black man who's president now and she ended she goes i can do this now and she ended up getting arrested so i thought it was i i did a i did a funny story on it when i was covering criminal courts it was and there's a couple people who did stuff like that but you know they got arrested there was like i can get away with this now because because obama's president and you know they didn't get away with it that's what was like funny about it so um, you know, I, I just yeah. think the, I no, think I think it's interesting it. that, you know, people are chastising Brandon Johnson even before he started the job. I mean, he I think he's get, yeah. getting sworn in, as I mentioned before, May 15th. So it was literally a month before he was sworn be, sworn in and they're like already going yeah. after him and he wasn't even the mayor. And, and it's like this whole notion that if Paul Ballas was there, like none of this would have happened is ridiculous yeah and then you made a good point like is it because brandon johnson was voted um elected the police officers are like we're just not going to do anything and that's ridiculous too and i think i think the police officers who just kind of sat there and watched this mayhem unfold they all need to be held accountable and uh charlie beck was saying that too he goes if there's no accountability that's a problem too he said you need to get rid of bad officers and officers who aren't doing their job. If, if these officers made an oath to um, serve and protect, they should have been doing that when this couple was getting beaten up or when, you know, other things were happening, you know, Saturday and, and, you know, the night before. So I don't know. I I think all eyes will be on Brandon Johnson. Um, And, you know, the summer, it it may not be like, you know, I think when anything happens, I think all eyes will be on, on the nation and, Brenda Johnson is going to have to like address this this problem. And and I like I said, I think youth need to oh, be involved yeah. in this conversation. Oh yeah. And you're gonna hear a different reaction. I'm telling you right now, I lived through the, everything I'm that you're living through now, I lived through in the eighties with Harold Washington. Uh the the, the Tribune the Tribune's news coverage is outstanding. The Tribune's editorial is utter direct, in my humble opinion. This is me, not uh Ramana. I know Royal. She's on the rival newspaper. You just like her better. I like the Sun-Times editorials better than the Tribune's. Uh, but in the eighties, oh my God, it'd be like they were holding, all right, what are you gonna do? Mr. Black man who just got elected mayor, you wanted to be mayor. What are you going to do? And it was like this attitude about him that I never saw, like with a Balanic or a Burn or a Daily, Daddy Daily, and the Baby Daily that came after. You know, so it's just, it's like people like the, the people's inner attitudes or prejudices and biases emerges in ways that they they don't even realize. Or maybe they don't care, but it's emerging. And there's no there's no self awareness. Like, what am I saying? What am I doing? How do I think? Which brings me to this topic. And this is just tailor made. Uh, what I'm about to say is tailor made uh, for Amana Hussein. So I've been having kind of a field day talking about like front liberals. Uh, and as everybody knows, there's a difference between a liberal and a lefty. Uh, I am pretty sure that the vast I, that the majority of lakefront liberals, white liberals along the lakefront, voted for Paul Ballas. And these are the same people, Ramana Hussein, who had like can't stand Donald Trump, put their pussy hats on uh, when Donald Trump was uh, sworn in in 2017 and took to the streets to protest Donald Trump's presidency. Uh, <laughs> They turned around and voted for Paul Vallis. 
I, I openly a MAGA sympathizer because he, the record is clear over the last two years what he's uh, his appearances at MAGA groups. So help me understand, Ramana, lakefront liberals. What is it about them that they couldn't bring themselves to vote for Brandon Johnson? Go ahead. So I don't know. I thought a lot of lakefront liberals ended up voting for Brandon Johnson. Like I was, I was looking at the map, but I I could be wrong. You're, you're, you probably, you study this more than I do. I probably just glossed it over and was just looking. I looked at the map really quick. Um, I, I still, I still believe in my socialist theory because, um, I've heard anecdotally that, um, that was the large consensus, especially among the white liberals. Like they don't want the socialists taking over the city of Chicago. And, um, you know, I think that's an interesting idea to explore, but I'm like, okay, but then you would be okay with someone that has sympathies towards, you know, MAGA types. I don't know. You know what I mean? It's, it's, that's, you know, that's my like lowbrow theory <laughs> about what, cause I think people are just, I don't know. And, you know, maybe it's, maybe because Brandon Johnson's inexperience, that's what their thinking was that as like, you know, has, has less experience than Paul Ballas did. I think a lot of the lakefront liberals, um, maybe they're thinking like, Oh, okay. This Paul Ballas worked for Richard M. Daly and he knows how the city works. And, you know, Paul Ballas to his credit is smart. And there was a time where, you know, people looked up to him, you know, when he was, I know, I know you might have some issues like when he was running the Chicago public schools, but he was popular. I mean, I, isn't that what the story was that Richard M. Daly was threatened by his popularity and, you know, kind of like soured on Paul Vallis. That's what, that's what I've heard. Um, I was starting as a journalist and I used to, I told you I covered the Chicago public schools. And I, at that time, I thought Paul Vallis was like, you know, his politics were a little different than what his politics are now. And, and I'm not, you know, one of the things a lot of people have told me, they're like, oh, well, you know, you can't say he's MAGA because he's not MAGA. But I'm like, yeah, but the fact that he like cozies up to MAGA people is concerning to people like me. So I think, I don't know, like I said, I think for the lakefront liberals, the ones who are especially, you know, the ones, sorry, I'm going off after white people, but they don't have to worry about, you know, MAGA. Because MAGA likes white people. You know what I mean? I think a lot of times white people, when they don't have to worry about a certain, you know, when they have, they're privileged and they don't have to worry about the discrimination, they kind of blow that off. They call it politics. They're like, you know, he's, he's just trying to, um, you know, get more votes. But for some people, um, a lot of people of color, um, and I know, you know, there was a lot of, you know, old school black politicians that supported Ballas and even Latinos, but there are a lot of people of color. And I think that's what pushed this election to the brink where they're like, I don't, I don't accept that Paul Ballas is rubbing shoulders with the MAGA crowd because, you know, people, people always talk about never again, but I'm like, no, you are okay with never again, because you're okay to overlook that type of allegiance and association with certain groups when it comes to this country. That's what I think, because I think a lot, I think a lot of people can afford to ignore that sort of prejudice because, you know, I heard a lot of people say that they'd like Donald Trump because they liked his, you know, they liked that he was a businessman and uh, he was going to keep their taxes low. And for someone like me, 
it just sounds ludicrous because I'm like, okay, that you're you would vote for someone like that, even if even if Donald Trump wasn't someone that was like, you know, catering or is a racist or a sexist. It's like, what makes you think that this guy can run the country? Like, I think I can run the country better than Donald Trump. And I don't think I'm qualified to be president. So what makes you think <laughs> that this bozo can run this country? So I just think that I just think that a, a lot of people in this country, sorry, they they love their white privilege. And, you know, they don't care. Mm really, at the end of the day, as long as, you know, there's no socialists running this country and, you know, they don't, they're okay with, you know, people rubbing elbows with MAGA. I have to tell you, it's interesting because there was, there was a reporter of color um, who on election night, I was asking him where he was going. And I think he was going to Brandon Johnson. And he told me, he's like, I do not, he goes, thank God I'm not going to the ballast thing because I do not want to be around those people. (laughs) You know what I mean? So it's like a, a lot. And then, you know, I heard a lot of, you know, white liberals like you know saying good and, and i know some indian people who are like oh they love paul vallis and you know and and they didn't they didn't even know about the maga connection but i don't know i i just think that um there's a lot of people of color who did not accept that i mean brendan johnson won by just a few votes we know it was very close but i think the the the, the fabric of the city is changing and not everybody is necessarily on board with politics as usual anymore and we're speaking out more. I mean, all right. So I'm not saying who I voted for. But. All right. So no. Okay. We could probably all figure it out though. All right. I'm going to, um, uh, I'm going to just be a little more specific about lakefront vote and then we'll move on. This is a nerdy part of the conversation. Uh, I'll say it. I owe a lot to two people on this front. One, uh, Anthony Jackson, political strategist who was on the show last week and the other Mick Dumkey, uh, who is, uh, great political reporter, dear friend of mine, uh, and coincidentally, Romano's husband. Uh, and uh, so I made the observation uh, to both Mick and Anthony uh, that there was an interesting development on the lakefront vote. You know, so if you think of the North Lakefront as just starting from the loop and going uh, north to Howard Street, the further you go north, the more Brandon Johnson's vote went up. So that Gold Coast area had like a, I forget the exact total, but it like 70% around there. Paul Vallis, that's hardcore MAGA. Then you get down to Lincoln Park, it falls into the 60s, but it's still hardcore MAGA sympathizer, not MAGA, MAGA sympathizer. Then you cross diversity, you go into the 44th Ward, it's Brandon Johnson actually won the 44th Ward, Tommy Tunney's Ward. And then you go further north, you go into Uptown, and Edgewater in a Rogers Park and Brandon Johnson's in the 60s. I go, white people get more liberal as you go north. And Anthony Jackson and Mick Dumkey, each of them pointed out to me, Ben, <laughs> you realize, of course, it's not just white people that live uh, north of diversity. That's where the people of color on the north side live. The black people, the Hispanic people, the Asian people. And it's like, Ramada, ding, the light went on. <laughs> Man, those lakefront liberals are so freaking worthless. <laughs> I'm sorry. It was in Rogers Park, uh, Ramada and Mix Ward, Maria Haddon, Alderwoman Maria Haddon, shout out, should be our guest uh, at the Promontory we do first Tuesdays next month. Uh, she, her ward went over, your ward went over 60% for Brandon Johnson. Yeah. 
But the, you're a, you live in like the United Nations. The 49th Ward is one of the few integrated wards in the city of Chicago, and not just black and white integration. You got Asian Americans, Hispanics, etc., and so forth. So, do you hear what I'm saying, Ramana? Do you hear? <laughs> the further you go toward integration, the more Brandon Johnson's votes go up. The further you go away from integration, the greater the concentration of the Vallis vote goes. And I think that speaks volumes about like front liberals. That's a, that's, that's a very good point. Um, yeah. I have to tell you, um, I've always told Mick that um, Rogers Park is getting whiter. Um, <laughs> and I go, it's getting more gentrified. Well, I told him, you know, so one of your uh, frequent guests, Samina Mustafa's sister lives also lives in Rogers Park. The joke is that our parents, that's where they started off in Rogers Park. They don't want to end up, they're like, why are you still in Rogers Park? But we joke that anybody who marries a white guy will end up, any Indian woman that marries a white guy might end up in Rogers Park, but it would never be necessarily a choice for us. But um, because our parents like said, that's where we started off. We don't want to stay there. People, Indians, Indians and Pakistanis want to leave Rogers Park as soon as they can. That's like where they start off. So it's like, so this one woman, uh, Samina Mustafa's sister lives like two or three blocks away from us. And she's married to a half Peruvian, half white guy. And she said that I always stick out when I'm running because she says, she goes, there's no South Asians in uh, East Rogers Park. They're all in West Rogers Park. So you stick out like a sore thumb. And I told Mick, I'm like, that's true. I then and then the Sun Times, um, Elvia Malagon and another reporter, I believe, uh, did a, a piece on Rogers Park a few months back, and they said the closer you get to the lake, the more white it is. And I told Mick, see, because he always lectures me about the importance of living in um, a diverse part of the city or a diverse suburb, and I'm like, listen, if anybody cares about diversity, it's me. But don't tell me that our part of town is like that diverse. It is diverse. Don't get me wrong. But the closer you get to the lake, they said they said the whiter it is because they said the the people, a lot of people of color um, want to stick with their own. So they live in parts of Rogers Park that are more um, there's like it's just like and, and that is true. I mean, there's more. I mean, I don't. All right. So you know what Rogers Park is like Rogers Park is like the cafeteria at Evanston High School. Yeah. So if you go look at the cafeteria at Evanston High School, there's the black section. Then there's the Asian section. Then over there is the geeky guys, where I always sat. And then <laughs> you get the point. Then there's the mean girls section. All right? So which this is why I always say it's not unlike the Chicago City Council. Sort of like no, no. And, well. it's, and it's so great. I mean, Rogers it's great. Park it's diverse. I'm just saying that even in Rogers Park, I, told, I, was, I always tell Mick, I point out, like, I'm like, no offense, we live in the yuppiest part of Rogers Park, okay? It's pretty it's, it's <laughs> yuppy, okay? I mean, there's like there's definitely people of color in, in, in our building, but I'm the only South Asian and uh there there's there's a there's a couple of uh, <laughs> people, but I'm like, listen, man, there's there's and then I think there's a, there's the there's the Asian there's a woman who's Asian and married to a white guy, kind of like me, <laughs> but she's East Asian, I'm South Asian. But yeah, I always tell Mick, I'm like, yeah, whatever. We're in the most yuppie. I mean, you know, yuppie uh, part of town. So it's, it's kind of funny, but no, uh, Rogers park is great. Is I, I just think the, um, I think the elections was definitely fascinating because I started off the night thinking that Paul Vallis was going to take it and it was going to be an early night. And everybody in the newsroom, I was there on election night. Everybody thought the same thing. So. Oh, well that, okay. That's a whole other story. Yeah, yeah, which yeah. We won't go well, into but I'm now. Just saying because- a whole show on it. How mainstream journalists, 
Every single one of them thought Paul Vallis was going to win. And my joke, I was like, if I talked to a mainstream journalist, I came away certain that Paul Vallis was in. And then when I talked to a young progressive, I thought Brandon was going to win. No, you're right. You're right. And you heard recently um, that the um, polls that were taken and appeared in a lot of mainstream um, news news um, organizations were actually funded by Paul Vallis. So, you know, you know, I don't know. And, you know, I thought Donald Trump wasn't going to win either. So I don't trust me. You know what I mean? I was just I Ben. I'm really literally going on what I heard a lot of lakefront liberals saying about how they didn't want Brandon Johnson to be mayor of Chicago. So, you know, that's why I'm surrounded by people like that. Right. So that's what I was going by, by the lakefront liberal crowd. And every single young person that I know, anybody under 30, every single person under 30 was saying they're going to vote for Brandon Johnson that I know personally. But the thing that scared me was that, you know, we heard those numbers about younger voters not coming out to vote. So, but they did make a difference in, you know, even though the numbers were low, the percentage of them voting from, you know, the February uh, 28th election to the April 4th runoff, it did increase. So, you know, young people did come out, show up and showed up for Brandon Johnson. So, yeah, when I talk to younger people, every single person under 30 I don't think I met anybody under 30 who said they were going to vote for Paul Ballas. But people my age and the boomers, uh, they were torn. And, and oh, I thought that was interesting. Are, 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 boomers are pathetic. All right. Uh, and so let me just say this. We'll close and then we'll move to my confession. Uh, I put this in print. I'll put it on the, I'll say it on the mic as well. And that is this. In 83, uh, when Harold Washington ran against Bernie Epton, and Bernie Epton, the Republican, got over 49% of the vote, one of the closest mayoral elections, maybe the, the closest we've ever had. Uh, almost Over 80% of white people in the city of Chicago voted for Bernie Epton. I would say within 10 years, you couldn't find any white person on the lakefront who would admit they voted for Bernie Epton. They all wanted to say to vote for Harold. In five years, all those lakefront liberals are going to be telling you they voted for Brandon Johnson. There, it's going to be voting for Paul Vallis is going to be like waking up from from a, a drunken night at a club where you did something stupid. You can't really remember what you did and you want to put it out of your mind and pretend you didn't do it. That is my prediction, Ramana. Hold me to it. In five years, you go find, find yourself a lakefront liberal who will confess that he or she voted uh, for Paul Vallis. I don't think you'll find him. That's my prediction. What do you think? Yeah, you're right. I mean, I don't know. I, 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 you, you, when I saw the, um, Harold Washington, uh, documentary, I never heard, I, I don't remember the, you know, I was a teenager. I remember Harold Washington being elected mayor. I, I thought that was historic and I, I paid attention to that, but I had no idea who Bernie Upton was. <laughs> like, and then I, when I watched the documentary, I just, you know, just hearing about that whole strategy and just like people talking and it was like the dog whistles weren't even like, you know, whistles, you know, and it, it was just astonishing to me. And, um, and, you know, I heard about when I started covering, um, when I first started working as a journalist, I was in my twenties and then I went to city hall. I got sent to city hall. That was my, one of my first beats city hall and education, by the way. And that was when Paul Vallis was, um, in running the Chicago public schools. And, um, you know, I heard about the council wars and I was just, I was just like, Oh my God, this wasn't that long ago. And, 
you know, that's, that's still exists today, you know, whether people want to admit it or not, you know, you know, one of the things that I think is really sad is that, you know, when President Barack Obama was, you know, the president, um, everybody's like, oh, we live in a post-racial world. We don't. I mean, it, it, it's completely, we don't. And, you know, we don't, we want to pretend that race doesn't matter, but it does. And yeah, of, and, you know, that doesn't mean that, oh, if we're going to have a black mayor, there's going to be no problems. Like, the, but it's, it's just interesting that the standards are just different when I bet if, I bet if um, Paul Vallis was the mayor elect and we had the mayhem happen downtown and two boys were shot um, I don't think the we would be hearing the vitriol against Paul Vallis from the same crowd who is accusing Brandon Johnson of not doing enough when he's not mayor. So that's my personal opinion. And yeah. I think, um, you know, what people act like race doesn't matter. It definitely does still. No, no. What you would hear is what you would hear is, oh, thank goodness. Paul Vallis is our next mayor. This won't happen uh, when Paul Vallis is mayor. And of course, it would happen because it's always happening. Uh, and then people would just forget that Paul Vallis is mayor. Uh, all right. Uh, we will now move on. I just want to make one quick uh, correction. Uh, you are not a teenager in uh, Harold Washington. That you, you are so young. You weren't even a pre... I guess you were a pre-team in Harold Washington. No, was I, I was a teenager. I was in high school. Uh, I was in high school when he died. Harold Washington was elected mayor to city of Chicago in April, 1983. Yeah, I was in junior. Yeah, I was in junior high when he died. I was in high yeah. school by that point. And you. Yes, but you were not a teenager when look, I'm correcting you. Okay, fine. maybe, uh, I, was, maybe I was 12 or, you know, but I was a little. <laughs> you were a preteen. <laughs> but I do remember I, I, we thought, I mean, I'm just saying I lived, I grew up in Lincolnwood right outside of Chicago. I mean, we thought it was like awesome because. You know, at that point, there was no Indian representation. So black representation for people of color was very important. We're like, wow, there's a black mayor of Chicago. And we all love we didn't even follow politics. And, you know, it wasn't like I was like, but I was just like, oh, I love Harold Washington. I remember. So, you know, it's just it, it was such a big deal at the time. And, you know, that like I didn't pay attention to politics. But I remember when Harold Washington was elected. I just didn't like I thought the documentary was a real eye opener to me. Very retro and yeah. just uh, just very telling about the way Chicago works. Uh, Punch nine, if you get to see it, Joe Winston. Shout out to Joe, who's a director. All right, we'll close with this: a confession from me to you. Uh, I've been a, a Cub fan my entire life, uh, or at least since I started following baseball. Started when I was about ten. A Cub and White Sox fan, I might point out. I'm not from Chicago. I never saw the point in rooting for one or the other. Uh, but the Ricketts were too much for me. I couldn't deal with them anymore, and I stopped following the Cubs. And they're off to a great start this year. I still, I mean, I don't root, I'm not emotionally tied to them, but I obsessively follow sports, so I know they're doing well. Uh, shout out Pat Wisdom, has been slamming homers left and right. Uh, but when I was visiting my uh, children, uh, my family in Cali, uh, I went to a Dodgers game, and they were playing the Cubs. Uh, I It was Jackie Robinson Day. Uh, that was the day when all baseball teams honored the great Jackie Robinson. Every player who went on the field was number 42, which was Jackie Robinson's number. And they were passing out, distributing free Dodgers jerseys with the number 42 on them. Ramona saying confession time. I, lifelong Chicago Cub fan, took that L.A. Dodger jersey, put it on, posed for a photograph with it on, and cheered 
when the Dodgers scored two runs in the bottom of the ninth to beat the Cubs, a walk-off Bases loaded single. I'm sure Mick was watching and crying when he saw it. I cheered it. That's how far I've gone, ladies and gentlemen. I cheered it when the Dodgers beat the Cubs. Do you think I have offended? Are you offended by what I did? Are you outraged no. by my? Uh... No, because you were wearing a Jackie Robinson shirt. It wasn't. It wasn't the Dodgers. It was the uh, Jackie Robinson shirt, and it's not like it was the Cardinals or the White Sox. And you're not. I know you're a Cub fan, but you said you're like a Chicago fan. You said you like the Sox too. So that doesn't. You don't really count. Yes. You know. I mean, you count. I'm not saying you don't <laughs> count, but I'm just saying you're not. Like, no, I don't count. And, That's a good and, point. And, and and to tell you the truth, I like the Cubs, but. I don't like, you know, I, I'm someone that doesn't really like to go white, watch the White Sox play, but I don't get that offended by the Sox Cubs rivalry. I mean, only I only react when like a Cardinals fan or a Sox fan starts, you know, calling me deranged or something like that. And then that's the only time I fight back. Otherwise, I'm pretty um I'm pretty okay with people cheering. I mean, sometimes like I uh, during the Olympics, like Mick get Mick 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 was kind of mad at me one year when I was cheering for the everyone that wasn't American. And it wasn't like I'm anti-American, but I was just like, I think Donald Trump was president. And I'm just like, oh, this is, you know, I'm like, I, I, I like it when I sometimes I cheer for the people who are doing really well or the underdogs. So I sometimes not, don't necessarily cheer for who I'm supposed to cheer for. Um, you know, I, I, I don't think I, right, I don't well, think let it was me ask a you sin. This. I don't think it was a sin. I think it was fine. All right. So I don't know if you can see that. I'm sure yeah, I can see it. I, you're by a ball. Okay. Yeah, I'm wearing, uh, but you see the shirt I'm wearing. Okay. 42. Here, here's the front of the shirt. Yeah, that's cool. All right. Would you have worn that Dodgers shirt if you were in LA for Jackie Robinson Day? Yeah, probably. It's Jackie Robinson. <laughs> Would Mick? I mean, it, it was a historical thing, you know? I mean, there was, I mean, I'm like all about speaking about a race, you know, out about racism and like, you know, I read about the treatment of Jackie Robinson and I would wear it. I went. I I went to a okay, Cubs uh, right. Boston uh, Red Sox game, and I was wearing a Boston Red Sox shirt. And I posted. My niece was wearing a Cubs shirt, and we. I posted a picture, and people are like, "Oh, you're wearing a Boston Red Sox shirt." And I'm like, "Yeah, I went to Boston, so I figure today is the day I could wear it." I'm not necessarily cheering for Boston, but <laughs> I'll wear. But I won't wear a white. I admit, wow. I won't wear. I won't wear a White Sox shirt. I'll wear a Dodger shirt before I wear a White Sox shirt. Wow, that's so weird. Listen, my nephews and nieces. I can't even deal. My with nephews that. and nieces have all worn White Sox shirts. My mom, who didn't know anything about sports, she liked the colors of the White Sox. And my brother's a diehard Cubs fan, but he grew up wearing Sox gear because my mom liked the colors. So I'm just letting you know, like people in my family have worn Sox shirts and Cub shirts and everything in between. Uh. All right, uh, I'm going to close it down. I'm going to promise listeners uh, that uh, Ramana and I will do our homework. Uh, and the next time she appears in the show, we both of us will have watched the movie Air, which I saw. And I really would love to have a conversation with Ramana about it. But I don't want to have that conversation until you've seen it. So I don't want you basing anything on what you read in a Rick T. Lander column or what you read Richard Roper say. I want your like what you think inside. Uh, although I urge everybody to Rick, read Rick's column about it. It's very provocative. You, can I ask uh, you, and also beef. Can I ask you if you liked it? What's that? Can I ask you if you liked it? Oh, my God. Like, I, I saw it. I would see it again. Like doesn't accurately, accurately, um, and this is because I'm such a, 
basketball bulls, Michael Jordan junkie. Uh, it doesn't act, act I, mean, I just, on a beyond like, loved it, but I knew it was Nike propaganda from start to finish. And while I was watching this, I was very aware of the fact that I was unduly influenced. And this was corporate propaganda. And I was a fool to like it as much as I did. But yes, okay. to answer your question. It's okay. okay I mean, <laughs> my, my first pair of Nikes, I was so, so happy when I got my first pair of Nikes. My parents, you know, are immigrants, obviously. They thought they were so expensive. And I still remember the color of my first Nikes. I mean, my brother had, uh, he has like classic Jordans. Like he still bought the first pair and like, you know, I know how big of a deal it is. So yeah, I, I'm interested in watching it and I have to watch Beef. And the only reason I haven't started it is because I'm watching it with my husband and he's very slow yeah. and we're still trying to finish The Last of Us. And he fell asleep <laughs> when we we're, I was trying to finish it off last week and he like fell asleep in the middle of it. It wasn't even 11 o'clock and he starts snoring. So yeah and we can't we can only watch shows on the weekends Uh, with him i have to tell you one really quick thing before i leave there's this one reality show that i watch is called love is blind it's really stupid but it's addictive it's basically they put this couple they put these couples in these rooms and they talk to each other but they don't know what each person looks like and so these people end up getting married to each other and they had a live reunion special for this season. And, you know, I feel stupid for watching it. But I have to tell you, your girl, AOC, watches it, too, because they were having a live special <laughs> and it broke down. It didn't work last week. And that was all the talk. That was all the rage of, like, you know, Twitter last week. And AOC commented on it, too. So then everybody was just like, whoa, AOC watches Love Was Blind, too. So that was a great revelation. I, I kind of felt like vindicated and watching a stupid show like that so i'm like oh cool aoc uh, watches it that so. aoc so anyway uh, we'll, we'll have, uh, hopefully, I'll, is, AO- hopefully i'll watch something by next week new i'm watching my sh- current shows but hopefully i'll watch something new oh the brook shields documentary no i hope you you and mick uh, uh yeah i hope you guys get out and go see air yeah mick wants to see uh it. maybe at the the, the the rogers park movie theater uh the the 400 uh, and uh, I just about AOC, as everybody knows, uh, she is the Samina Mustafa of New York. That's always, uh, <laughs> yeah. About her. And I also urge everybody uh, to watch Samina. the Brooke Shields documentary. It's very revealing and uh, it's very sad and it touches upon feminism and female agency. And I think it's really great. Um, I, I, I'm a Gen Xer, so I remember when she was big and people really took advantage of her. And um, basically her, the movie she was in and the pictures that were taken of her are today. And even back then is child pornography. It's just, it's just a very good documentary with, where she's talking and other, other um, scholars are talking. So I think you should watch it, Ben. Let me know what you think about it. Um, it's on Hulu. I will. It's on, it's, did you say it was on Hulu? Yeah. I'm just saying you have daughters. So Hulu. you may, okay. you know, you may be able to like, no, I, I might watch it. it. When you told me about it, it reminded me of the Woody Allen documentary. It totally changed my attitude about Woody Allen. Well, it already changed anyway, but uh, uh, I think, yeah, it's seeing stuff that you took for granted, it, you accepted, and now all of a sudden you realize, you know, that wasn't cool. You're a little embarrassed that you accepted it, but you can't rewrite history. I mean, you, you are what you are. Uh, anyway, all right, uh, Ramon Hussein, thank you very much, as always. Uh, and check her columns out in the Sun-Times. And, uh, well, you can check her editorials out, except you won't know which one she wrote because they're unnamed, but I can generally figure them out. Uh, and, um, again, thank you so much for coming to my show, Romana. Thank you. All right, that's great. Romana Hussein, I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody. Mm-hmm.
Save on Cox Internet when you add Cox Mobile and get fiber-powered internet at home and unbeatable 5G reliability on the go. So whether you're playing a game at home, yes, goal, or attending one live, goal! you can do more without spending more. Learn how to save at cox.com slash internet. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial cable. Cox Mobile runs on the network with unbeatable 5G reliability as measured by Ookla LLC in the U.S. to H2023. Results may vary, not an endorsement. Other restrictions apply.